Doing all right? So-so? Okay. Um, well, we're going to continue our series now in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. I will read from Scripture. I'll do that when I'm a few moments in. Uh, a break from tradition just to keep you on your toes. I think... I don't think I'm the first preacher at this church to begin with this illustration. I think uh, our very own curate just over there, George, uh, maybe began a sermon a little while ago with this. But this last Thursday, I had the opportunity to uh, take my children uh, and Amy as well to a place called The Wave. Thank you, George. Collaboration, inspiration, uh, sharing in terms of amen or come on, is absolutely welcome in this place. I went to the Wave, which is uh, a place, a special place in Coventry. Has anybody other than George been to the Wave? Amy, you don't count. Tanya, thanks for that. Matt, I know you did and your hand's not up. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Amazing. Well, I went to the Wave. For those of you that don't know, the Wave is an indoor park of water and delight. Would that be fair? It's not on their website as that, but that's what it is. And uh, as we arrive there, uh, there's various things you can do, but being a competitive uh, chap, I took my two eldest children, the two who were qualified by height and weight, to go on uh, this particular ride. And we went to the most advanced and the most frightening ride the park had to offer. Just, you know, start how you mean to go on effectively. And that ride is known as the Torrent. Yeah. You got it. It's the, and, it. and really, it says everything about it. Here's what the website says about the torrent. Riders of the torrent must prepare to have the floor beneath them disappear. And, and the, uh, they're speaking literally there. And to be plunged straight down to ground level. This is only for the bravest of riders. And so on Thursday, three of the bravest of riders, that is myself, Amy, you did do it eventually. Uh, Joseph, my son, and Grace, my eldest daughter, plunged down 82.7 meters. Naomi, 82.7 meters. At a speed, I'm reliably uh, told, of 10.89 meters per second. And if you don't, if you're not able to do the maths, that is 24.36 miles per hour, if my maths is correct. I did that one on the fly this morning. Which is very quick. When all you're wearing is your Speedos. I just leave you with that. Now, I found that what happens is, I think we've got a picture of it. You basically step into a cocoon. That is not me. I was not smiling. You step into a cocoon, and as you can see, you're at a few degrees, and you're standing on a foundation, a red uh, plank or platform, if you like, And you basically have to wait a period of time. And the point is you don't know how long it is. And gradually the floor beneath you shifts until it completely disappears. And I found, just for those that are thinking of doing this, I found that while hyperventilating, you can go through all of Psalm 23 in that time. Now one thing that struck me as I was uh, in the cocoon was that this experience is a little bit like reading Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. You stick around for 30 seconds or so, enough to read through the first five verses of chapter one. And then you're dumped through a hole into an abyss 
of polemic, passion, and persuasion. There's no water, but you can almost feel Paul's passion arriving off the page in the form of spittle. It's that direct, it's that passionate. And by the time we arrive in chapter 3, which is where we arrive today, Paul has really, he hasn't cooled off at all. Indeed, if anything, he seems to be gaining in intensity. And here's what we read in the first few verses of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard. We'll stop there uh, for now. So the context as we've been speaking about throughout this series so far in Galatians is that Paul is addressing a church that he himself planted and the problem he's facing, and we're sort of reconstructing this, so uh, putting pieces together, but this seems to make sense of what's happening in the letter is that Paul is uh, addressing this church. What seems to have happened is that a group of missionaries perhaps have joined the church, and after Paul has moved on, have begun to present to them a different gospel, another testimony, a testimony about what it means to be in relationship with God. And they've basically said to this group, this assembly of Christians, that you guys have done really well, but you essentially have been half converted. And what's required for you is for you to go the whole way. And in order to go the whole way, that basically means following the Jewish law, obeying Torah with its 613, if I remember that correctly, commands which encompassed all of life. You've got to follow this. You've got to become fully ethnically Jewish, if you like, if you're going to become part of the people of God. Jesus is important. But Jesus is a response. He fits in with this other story. What Paul is saying to the church in Galatia is that's a false gospel. That's another gospel. And if you submit and surrender to that gospel, Jesus Christ is of no use to you. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's been the argument all along. His declaration, if you like, throughout is that human worth cannot be achieved. Human worth cannot be achieved. It can't be something you uh, make for yourself. It has to be received. Worth isn't centered on human achievement, but it's all about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Or to put it another way, grace, God's gift of acceptance, which is Jesus, isn't given to the worthy. It is grace that creates and secures worth. Grace isn't given to the worthy, grace creates and secures worth. And after the first time in the letter, three chapters, or two full chapters, chapter 3 verse 1, that long in, Paul begins to direct his teaching, if you like, his polemic, his argument, directly for the first time to the church in Galatia. He addresses them 
face to face. And here's what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's strong stuff, folks. You know, and, and, so, and I think because it's so strong, people, I think, have misunderstood and misinterpreted Paul to be an angry person. Those of us who experience anger, we know that anger is a secondary thing. And I think what's driving Paul here is a depth and a ferocity of love for this people. He looks at their situation. He sees they're being distracted and taken away from their true path. And so he responds very directly, calling them fools. You foolish Galatians. Now, uh, some synonyms for fools in case you were wondering. Unintelligent, unwise, inconsiderate, brutish. Folks, whichever way you slice it, this word is not a compliment. This is not Paul saying, hey guys, you're doing well, let's just continue on sort of in this path. No, he's saying, no, 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 no. What's required is a complete about turn. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Again, that word there is a strong word, to be bewitched. And I know those of you in my generation, you, you, I know you're thinking of a girl band in the 1990s, right? What was, it, what was their song? Say la vie. Say you will, say you won't. Say, yeah, I won't. I'll stop there. I'll stop there. I'll, I actually like that song. Actually, Paul isn't referring prophetically to that wonderful Irish band. Paul is uh, speaking here about the evil impact of a spell. He's saying you guys are under a spell. Some, some, somebody or something's cast a spell on you. And you're being distracted and taken away. Taken off course. And you're in danger of being completely lost. Because you're submitting to this other gospel. This other way of thinking and being. Now Paul's strategy at this point is fascinating. And it's so simple. Let's look at it. Here's what he does. Verse 2, <laughs> I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Before that, he says, before your eyes, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So the first thing Paul does here, he says, before your eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. He brings them back to their foundational story. And that foundational story is the story of what Christ has done for them. This is an attempt to reorient them, to turn them around, but by taking them back to the start. This is an attempt to reintegrate the disintegrated. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul here is referring to a couple of things. Firstly, to his preaching. Paul's message, we know this from uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 23, where he says, but we proclaim Christ crucified. Paul's message here in Galatia and elsewhere, his message was a simple message. It probably didn't take 30 minutes or whatever I'm about to take, uh, not from this moment, from the beginning, fear not. It probably didn't take him that long to preach the gospel to communities of people because his message was simple. His message was the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Romans, he says, you know, he, he died, he was put to death, handed over to death for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification. That was Paul's message. It centered on Jesus. So when Paul says, you know, 
Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's referring to his preaching. He's saying, when I came to you, I didn't come with, as he says in 1 Corinthians, lofty words of wisdom, but I came with a a demonstration, a, a preaching about the cross and a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Folks, it was really simple. It was about Jesus and his kingdom. It was about the cross of Christ, which brings to the end all attempts at human worth creation. And it's like he's saying to them, you know, this was the term of the engagement. This was the deal, and you signed up to it. But Paul's not just referring to his preaching. He's also referring here to his model, his example. He's saying, look, I lived in such a way, it was cross-like among you. This is how I preached. This is how I lived. And you received this gospel, no other gospel. Why are you turning from it? And I love what he does in the next verse. This is, any, anyone who's a parent knows this, verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Uh, just not so long ago, this, is, this may or may not be autobiographical. A, a, a man I know, a man I know, saw that on the freshly painted walls of his children's bedroom, that he had just paid somebody to come in and paint, he saw engravings and uh, art, if it can be called that. This man felt in his heart at that point the impulse to line every one of his children up against that wall and say words to this effect. I would like to learn just one thing from you. This is the sort of passive-aggressive approach that as parents we can get locked into. Paul is sort of in that space. Like, I just want to know one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul's pointing the church in Galatia back to foundations. Firstly, the foundation of the cross. Secondly, the foundation of the Spirit. These are the fundamentals. He's saying, guys, you received the message of the cross and you trusted that message to be enough for you to, exp- for you to step into friendship with God. And the evidence that it was enough was that you were filled with the Spirit of God. These two are a package deal. These two things come together. In other words, you received the gospel, you were filled with the Spirit, and you knew it. You experienced it. That's why he says just a little ways on, he says, verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain? Or did you experience so much for nothing? Paul, the foundations of the gospel are the preaching about Christ and their acceptance of that by faith, by simple trust, and then the indwelling, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. For him, there's no other foundation for life and faith than this. You know, we can make it so complicated. What is God looking for? What is faith, what is Christian faith all about? You know, do I need to understand this or that uh, particular, an answer to this or that ethical issue? Is there a certain way I have to talk? Uh, Do I have to wear skinny jeans? Do I this? Do I that? Do I have to follow this or that person on Instagram or whatever it is? You know, none of that stuff actually matters. When it comes down to it, it's really simple. It's about receiving the message about Jesus, that Jesus died for your sins. And for my sins, not because we're worthy, but in order to make us worthy. 
that there was a, an inseparable barrier, a bridge that could not be crossed between us and God, and that God in Christ bridged that gap and allowed us to walk over that gap on his own shoulders, his broken body. And that as a consequence of belief and trust in that message, you and I know, we can know in our hearts, and we'll get to this next week, we can know in our hearts. When I use that word know, I mean it experientially. Not just know in our heads. You know, for Paul, there was no division between head and heart in that way. We can actually know, experience it in our hearts and our bodies that we do belong to God. Paul says in Galatians 4, he says it in Romans 8, our spirits testify with God's spirit that we're children of God. And because of that, we cry out, Abba, Father. Do you know you can know you belong to God? You can have the assurance of your salvation, and that comes through the Holy Spirit. You can experience it. So Paul says, when you experience that, church, did you experience that for nothing? Did you experience that because you followed the law? Or did you have that transformative experience with God through the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, through trust? It was through trust, wasn't it? You know, the same is true for you. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. That's like an axiom. One plus two equals, what is it? Three. One plus one equals two. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. And each of us, when we turn to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That manifests in our lives in a whole variety of different ways. For some of us, it's, uh, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it, it's like we become just overjoyed and praise starts to pour out of our hearts. Otherwise, others, others, we're a little more chilled out. <laughs> Whatever your experience, however it changed you, however it worked in your life, the bottom line was it was transformation. It made a difference. You know, Christian faith is experiential. It's to be tasted, it's to be seen, it's to be experienced. And Paul is turning the church back to their experience and saying, look, the way in is the way on. The way in, the cross, the spirit, that's the way on. There's no beta course. There's no course after the, the Americans would say the 101. It's the 101 and that's it. The way in, the cross and the spirit, that's the way on. That's, that's the way we do Christianity, following Jesus from the beginning, through the middle, and to the end. That's it. That's the foundation. Don't begin by means of the spirit and then try and complete your salvation through the flesh. Right? It's simple. I've taken a long time to say it. Do you understand it? Nod. I said, Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's land this. What might this mean for us today? Well, first and foremost, it's the same deal today. Same deal. Have you accepted the message of Jesus? Or are you trying to justify yourself before God? You're trying to make yourself worthy through the way that you sound, the way that you look, how you behave, 
I succeed? Any other external or internal criteria? If you're doing that, you are wasting your time and your energy. And you will find yourself moving away rather than towards the grace of God. Are you willing, are you ready to accept the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, which feels like grace, and which is the Holy Spirit, and which transforms us from the inside out? Are you ready for a fresh indwelling, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Don't we need that as the church? That's the first thing I want to say today, is that the way in is the way on. The Holy Spirit is our only hope for living the Christian life. Well, let me take us back to this word, bewitched. What, who has bewitched you? What if we are in danger of being bewitched too? What if we are just as much in danger of turning to another gospel as the church in Galatia was? Bewitched. Because we thought we could be carried along in our faith by a series of programs rather than the daily practice of walking with Jesus. Bewitched because we thought we could show up to church once a month and spend more of our time on our smartphones, on Facebook, watching Netflix than in the scripture, than sharing faith and learning how to pray. Bewitched because we thought it was possible to live out our faith vicariously. That is to say through somebody else. Whether that somebody else is a Christian celebrity, brackets, no such thing exists, or a local saint. Bewitched by the gospel of relevant Christianity which said that our faith should never and would never bring us into conflict or, ten- conflict or tension with the gospel of freedom preached by secular society. Bewitched because we had come to believe that consuming Christian ideas, songs, social media posts was the same thing as learning how to pick up our cross. These are just some of the other gospels on offer today. And it's not that we've had a group of missionaries from Judea showing up to preach them. We don't even need that. We've got mass media downloaded to our devices, in our faces, every minute of every day. And the truth is, many of these other gospels are propagated by the church. We are propagating a lot of this nonsense. So let's go back to the image of the torrent with which we began, if you can remember that far back, in this sermon. For many of us, if not every single one of us, this slide represents the last 18 months. The foundation of our lives has been very gradually descending until the moment when it completely disappeared. The gradual descent was online church. And we did that for a little while, didn't we? Uh, No offense to those who are doing it now. And then we realized it was rubbish. No? Well, I did. And I was doing it. You know, things that we felt were solid and immovable 
were shown to be less than that. Leaders we relied on uh, failed. They fell, many of them. Institutions that we'd become to depend on, we actually began to think, hang on, is this even relevant for my life? As habits that we'd formed began to uh, fall away. And it feels like at this moment we've been through this process of disintegration. And the question for every single one of us is, will we allow God to reintegrate us? What is your future going to look like? It doesn't have to involve coming to church. It doesn't have to involve following Jesus. There are other foundations. My contention today, what I'm putting before you is that no other foundation will secure your life now and for all of eternity. That's the gospel that Jesus and Paul preach. And it is confirmed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. In a time of disintegration, I speak for myself. It has also been a time of revelation. We have learned the foundations that we've been standing on. Folks, there's good news too. And I will end with it. It has also been, I believe like never before, a time of invitation. And it will be a time of new integration. God is rebuilding his church as our Bishop Paul says, in the ruins. We have seen folks coming to faith, uh, moving out of addiction and into new life in Christ. We have seen people literally moving onto the street, walking down the street, turning toward the building and saying, I need to go there and coming to faith on their first times at Trinity. New community is being formed. It feels like loss for a lot of us as old communities we'd have been a part of are redirected. But we've seen an explosion of life amongst children, amongst young people, amongst students in this city. God is moving powerfully in our student group. Students, it's wonderful to have you here this morning. Yesterday, almost 1,000 women, 900 women gathered in the Midlands' second city, Birmingham. I thank you. I thank you. Could it be that as Zechariah 12.10 says, a spirit of grace and supplication is on the church in these days? And my question to you as I close is, where are you at? What foundation do you want to build your life on? Without impinging on the sovereignty of God, I don't know how this works. You are an actor. You have a role in how that question is answered. Have you been shaken? Is this a time? Is this an invitation to explore your foundation? Trinity Church, I stand before you as a witness. There is only one foundation. It is Christ Jesus and him crucified. He was handed over to death for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. There is only one Holy Spirit. There is only one Spirit of Christ who makes life in God possible who makes life worth living, who fills us with peace and joy even in the midst of the darkest hour. Now is the time to return as the church to this foundation. Now is the hour to repent and turn to Christ.